Let's bow once more before we open up the word of God this morning. Gracious Father, we are thankful uh, today that we can gather here to worship you. Uh, We're thankful for voices that we can raise in song to uh, proclaim the truths uh, that you've revealed to us in your word. Uh, That we know uh, that only through your son, Jesus Christ, the one to whom we owe a debt of love that we cannot repay. Uh, because uh, it was only through Jesus Christ that we have had our spiritual eyes open so that we can see, uh, to be able to worship you as we should. Uh, And so, Father, as we open up your word this morning, we ask that you, through your spirit, uh, which indwells every believer, would teach us, uh, would guide us in all truth, so that we may uh, be different as we leave this place, to be able to speak your truth, to live your truth in a world that is in uh, opposition to it. And so, Father, give us the strength that we need. Uh, Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think by now you know where to turn in relation to our sermon series. Uh, It's the book of Ephesians, uh, and today we are going to finish out uh, verses 7 and 8 as we continue on uh, and draw closer uh, to the end of this section entitled God's Sovereign Plan of Salvation. Uh, And as you're turning there, uh, I would like to remind you of what we spoke of just in brief uh, last time, because we spoke in relation to redemption. Uh, And what we did is we answered a few questions last time. uh, And the first one was, who is the one providing the redemption? Uh, And this is key because the world uh, will often substitute something of lesser value, uh, of lesser effect, uh, because they are trying to do it within their own strength. There is only one who can redeem, uh, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our redeemer because he paid the price for our release from sin and death. Second, we answer the question, who are the recipients of this redemption? And as we continue looking in our context of uh, verses 1 through 7, Uh, We know that it speaks to those whom he chose, predestined for adoption, and blessed in the beloved. Uh, And so there is a a redemption that takes place uh, that has uh, people in mind, uh, people like you and people like me. Then third, we went to look at how much does this redemption cost. Uh, And this is something that redemption uh, has a price. We don't uh, ourselves end up paying that price. The Lord Jesus Christ did because he gave his sinless lifeblood in order that we may have our debt paid in full, not partially paid, not uh, something with an expiration date, not something that God is all of a sudden going to change his mind. That debt was paid in full. Uh, And that makes a difference between someone who can say that they're happy all the day or full of the joy that comes with knowing uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And this debt was paid in full, and uh, we are given an eternal redemption. Uh, There's nothing that can change that, nothing that man can do. There's nothing that you individually can do to change what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. It's eternal in nature because it began in eternity, this plan of salvation. And finally, we took a look at Jesus, the King of Kings 
paying the ultimate ransom for our sin. Because we realized in Greek, uh, the word translated redemption in your Bible can also be translated ransom. Uh, Jesus was not ransomed himself. He paid the ransom through his lifeblood. And so that's the stage in which we are going to continue to build because as uh, we uh, finish out verse 7 and look into verse 8, what we're going to do is see what comes as a result of this redemption. Because there's a result. Uh, As a matter of fact, Paul uh, focuses on two things that we're going to take a look at today. Uh, And we need to realize that uh, these two results of redemption uh, and redemption itself are all part of those spiritual blessings that Paul spoke of back in verse 3. It is a spiritual blessing for us to be redeemed, to know the Redeemer, to be able to fellowship with the God of all. Uh, And as a result of that redemption, there are uh, two specific uh, things that happen immediately, an immediate result. Uh, And so the first one there uh, is found in verse 7, which I will reread. Uh, from the beginning there. It says, In him, so in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So that phrase, the forgiveness of our trespasses, is the first immediate result of our de- redemption. Now you may think as you're, you know, uh, contemplating forgiveness, uh, you know, we, we, we separate it because redemption and forgiveness are two different things. Um, but the thing that you need to understand this morning, that is it is impossible for you to be redeemed without forgiveness. Let me say that again. It is impossible to be redeemed without forgiveness. Because it's an immediate result of what happens because we, we have been um, bought and paid for it. Our debt has been paid in full so that what happens as a result of that redemption to be redeemed out of slavery is that God does something wonderful. He forgives us. He takes the time to say that this has been paid in full and as if it never happened at all. Because that's what true forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the canceling of our debt before God. That's what forgiveness is. And in relation to uh, forgiveness, and something that we need to understand, even as those who have been redeemed, but also in living the Christian life, is that this forgiveness, this canceling of our debt before God, has a positional aspect to it. Because as you think about when Christ died on the cross, that was some 2,000 years ago. So when were your sins? In the future as far as time concerned, but remember, this is God's sovereign plan from eternity. So even though we are looking back to the cross, just like the Israelites were looking forward to the cross, there is an aspect here of forgiveness. And Paul pens this very well in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Listen to what he says. He says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, that's what happens when we put our faith and trust in Christ, when we experience that redemption through Christ, is that that legal demand, which the legal demand is, the wages of sin is death. We all deserved it because we were actively in rebellion against God. And that's what's so beautiful about Christ's sacrifice. That's what's so beautiful about you know, Jesus being our redeemer is he redeemed us out of that so that we no longer took the consequences of our sin before God. Jesus did. He suffered, he bled, he died. He nailed those transgressions to the cross. In the book of Isaiah, it gives us a little bit more of an aspect for us to better understand that forgiveness is the canceling of our debt before God. It says here, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. So in other words, what God is saying is he looks at, uh, you know, his people is that they're constantly sinning before him. That their sin wearies him. But notice what he says in verse 25 of Isaiah 43. He says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. See, that's the forgiveness. That's the, the, you know, after, you know, experiencing redemption, that is the forgiveness of God. Because when we forgive someone, even today, as those who should forgive as, you know, God in Christ has forgiven us, it means that we do not hold against that individual what was previously something that we had ownership of. Because forgiveness is saying, this did not happen. I am, I'm freeing you of the, the guilt of what you've done against me. I'm blotting out that transgression so that we can move on. So forgiveness is the counseling of our debt before God. But it's also something that is infinite and freeing in its aspect. Listen to what David said in Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12. He says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For his eye as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. See, Jesus paid the price, and therefore God no longer holds sin against us because the price has been paid. We've been forgiven. We haven't just been redeemed. We have not just been removed from our slavery to sin, but we have also been forgiven. We have been forgiven so that God no longer holds our sin against us because Jesus shed blood on the cross, paid the price, therefore releasing us not only from sin, but granting us eternal forgiveness. What a beautiful thing. We'll notice in the text there as we finish out verse 7 that Paul goes on to clarify this, you know, forgiveness of our trespasses a little bit more. Because notice what he says there at the end of verse 7. He says, according to 
So in other words, the forgiveness of our trespasses is according to something. It says the riches of his grace. See, this is who our God is. He is gracious. He is love. He is merciful. He is the one who forgives. He is the one who redeems. If you remember, grace by definition is God's unmerited favor. In other words, you have in no way, shape, or form merited God's grace in your life. God's grace is a gift. God's grace is him acting in grace to you. Not because of something that he saw worth redeeming, because what is he worth? Is he redeeming? Someone in rebellion against him. Someone who did not see God as God. You know, just take a moment and look at the culture around us. A culture that is antagonistic to the truth of the word of God, that is antagonistic towards God's creation. And if you just take a look around and see what man is in his natural state, you'll begin to understand that God's grace is not something that's merited because there's nothing there of merit. God didn't look at me, Bill Diggins, back in 1975 and say, I'm going to redeem and forgive him because Bill is an amazing individual. Or because there's a glimmer of hope in him. Or because, you know, it's not really his fault that he is rebelling against me. It's because of the culture around him. So you begin to see, do you begin to see with spiritual eyes exactly what grace is? Grace is God reaching down in a very powerful way and saying, I am going to show something to you that you do not deserve, that is unmerited, and I'm going to bless you in a way that you would would never even begin to think of. According to the riches of his grace, so his grace is in great abundance, but notice what it says in verse 8, which he lavished upon us. It's according to the riches of his grace. So there's, you know, God is grace, but he's lavished it upon us. I want you to think about that word for a moment, because in Greek, it means that that this is not something small, because this is not a small task. This is something massive, because God's grace is that large, that wonderful, so that when he reaches down in a powerful way into the life of someone He lavishes it upon them so that there is no question in their mind that they are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. And that's the difference between true Christianity, true biblical Christianity, and the rest of the world. Because they're constantly scraping and trying to figure out how they can appease in some way. Or how can I make this right? I know if I just do this, then this is going to change the parameters of of my existence. No. See, salvation belongs to God. It's God reaching down through grace, which is a gift, something not merited. Think of it this way. It's more than the bare necessities uh, of life. Like Baloo would say in the Jungle Book. See, this is not something, everybody's finally catching up there, at least you're awake. See, this is not just something that God, you know, you know, in, in a very small increment gives you a little 
dropper full of. This is something that God does in a powerful way so that you just stand back and, you know, like what was penned by John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's the effect that true repentance has in the life of someone who has now been freed from the bonds of sin. They don't see it as just something that was the bare necessity. God didn't just do it as an afterthought. Because remember, this plan has its roots before eternity. He knew your name before he even created you because he is the God who knows all. We did not just come into existence, you know, I did not just come into existence you know, physically on June 16th, 1970. Or if you want to go nine months before when, you know, uh, I was conceived. God knew me before the foundation of the world. He knew that I would trust him as Lord and Savior in 1975. I want you to know this because... As you think about this, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, is that your sin will never be more than God's gracious forgiveness. Your sin will never be bigger than God's ability to forgive you. Your sin will never be bigger than Jesus's ability to redeem you out of it. Because it's the difference between almighty God and created sinful man. And there is nothing that God answers to. There is nothing that is going to rob God of his ability and his willingness to lavish upon us his beautiful grace so that he can not only redeem us through his son, but also forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins. So that is the first immediate result of redemption. The forgiveness of our sins. Second, we find in verse 8 at the very end. The second immediate result of our redemption is in all wisdom and insight. And permit me for a moment just to define these two words out of Greek, and this will help you better understand what Paul is saying in relation to this, uh, to this redemption that we have and the, this immediate result. First, wisdom comes from the Greek word Sophia. Uh, and it actually literally means divine knowledge. So something miraculous happens, something that not only does God lavish grace upon you, but he lavishes upon you a wisdom that can only come from God. It's denoting something of a, a mental excellence in the highest and fullest sense. So in other words, God gives you spiritual eyes to be able to see spiritual things, to be able to see God as he is. That's what happens when you end up being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Something that you were not able to see prior to that. Because if every eye was spiritually alive, then everyone on this planet would be worshiping God in spirit and in truth and the way they should as those who have been created in the image of God and not living as we see the natural world living. See, God gives us divine knowledge to see and to understand the things of God. To understand, you know, who God is, who man is, what sin is, what salvation is, what redemption is, what is yet to come. To be able to pick up the word of God and have it be more than just a textbook that puts knowledge in your head because it is the living word of God. 
And only the Spirit of God can help you see that and understand that. And that's what this word wisdom means. So as, you know, a second immediate result of our redemption is, is that we can see spiritual things for the first time in our lives and appreciate it, to understand that God lavished his grace upon us according to the richness of his grace so that he may redeem us and forgive us our sins for all eternity. That's a beautiful thing, to see God as he is. Well, that second word, insight, actually comes from the Greek word uh, phronesis, which means practical wisdom. It's the ability to govern one's own life wisely. So not only does God give his spiritual eyes to see him and to see things as they are from God's perspective, as one who has been redeemed and had their eyes open to spiritual things, but he also gives us practical knowledge So in other words, God doesn't just save us so that we spend eternity with him and then leave us to flounder and to think, well, what do I do in the world in which I live that is antagonistic towards God and I don't know how I fit in, how I proclaim the truth, how I live the Christian life, because everyone seems like they're against me. They're against the word of God. They're against, you know, common sense thinking. And we'll put forth things that are contradictory right out of their mouth you know, in, at any given moment, back to back, because it makes no sense, because the natural mind makes no sense, because it is devoid of God and being able to see things from a practical standpoint. So God gives us practical knowledge or insight, as it says there in your translation, to see and to understand how we should handle living in this world. So that's why I tell you to make sure that you're in the word of God each and every day. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation this morning about how even in Ellington public schools that there are teachers that are trying to program our children into thinking, you know, that they are racist, that they, you know, are, you know, should be embracing of everyone's cultural lifestyle, that it's okay to elevate one thing and, and, and not another. And so it's happening right around us. And the comment was made, well, you know what? If, if it's happening here in Ellington, it's probably happening everywhere else. And I think it's a pretty trustworthy statement. So even Ellington is not, you know, protected from all of what is happening in our culture. So we need to have that practical knowledge, that insight from God to be able to see and to understand how we should live in this world. To be able to know what to say, to what to stand on, and what to give over into God's hands. Realizing that, you know what, there's going to be a time when men are lovers of self rather than lovers of God. And that's been in every generation since the very beginning. But it seems as you look around, more and more people love themselves rather than loving God. Which brings me to the one of the songs we sung. I appreciate the worship team being willing to sing a song that Pastor Bill asked for. Because sometimes that, you know, growing up in the, in the church, there's a lot of songs I know that not all the, the worship team know. Uh, this one, they, they pulled off well this morning if they didn't know it. But think about the words that Isaac Watts penned in At the Cross. Because I think this hymn actually gives us a beautiful picture of not only the wisdom 
we, we, that Paul is talking about in relation to what God does in order for us to be able to see spiritual things, but also the insight, the practical part of what it does in relation to everyday living. And the original five verses that are that we I think we sung all of them. I think one of them may have been repeated when we sung it this morning. Um, but I'd like to refresh your memory with them, knowing that this was written in 1674. Uh, or I should say Isaac Watts lived in, from 1674 to 1748. So long before any of us were born. Uh, he says, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die. Okay, How does Isaac Watts have the ability to see Jesus as the one who shed his blood so that he could receive redemption and that Jesus is the Sovereign? Well, see, that's because the Spirit of God opened his eyes. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Well, we know that salvation is God's sovereign plan from before the foundation of the world. So, yes, it does. Every worm such as I. Was it for crimes that I have done he groaned upon the tree? Well, we know the answer to that question. It's rhetorical. What did Jesus nail to the cross? Well, we just learned about it. Our our transgressions, he nailed to the cross so that we could experience forgiveness. It says, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. See, only a saved, regenerate heart could say and see those things. To see just how much... God loves us in his son, Jesus Christ, that it's amazing that he would save a worm as I. Grace unknown. Well, because Paul says it is uh, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Why would God do that is the better question. Well, God did that because God is love, God is gracious, and God had a plan before the foundation of the world. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. See, Jesus took our place. He took what I deserved. And there are many that are going to get what they deserve. Because every person on this planet, both now and in history and yet to come, till Christ returns will pay the price, either themselves or through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. So all three of those verses are the wisdom. That's the spiritual aspect that God shows us in relation to the things of God. Here's the insight. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness, and melt mine eyes in tears. See, that's the result of what happens. So that as all, you know, God, you know, opens up our ears, opens up our eyes so that we can see spiritual things is for the purpose of having not only a profound impact in our own individual life, but by God's wisdom and grace, he established the church so that we would have brothers and sisters to be able to encourage one another, to get together for fellowship, to raise our voices in one in unison for the glory of God. 
but drops of grief can there repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. See, when we face the world in which we live, truly the only thing that we can do is to lay the burdens at the foot of the cross and have the Spirit of God direct us and lead us according to his truth. And it's interesting, Ralph Hudson, almost a uh, hundred years later, penned the chorus of that song. He says, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. See, that's the insight. That is the working out of your salvation so that it has a profound effect on who you are each and every day. You are not the same individual because God lavished his grace upon you and broke the bonds of sin and death to free you for his glory. To live in a world that hates God because there's others that need to see and to understand and to be able to have Words as Isaac Watt penned that are no less impactful today because the truth is still the truth. So, what comes as a, a result of this redemption? Forgiveness of our trespasses and wisdom and insight. And I thought I'd close uh, in the, the next few minutes with what are some of the other benefits of this redemption? Because I want you to know all that you have in Christ Jesus. Because if you don't understand, if you don't know what you have in Christ Jesus, if you don't see God's grace in your life being lavished upon you in salvation in Jesus Christ, then you're going to live a mediocre Christian life. You're going to, you know, deny the power of God that is within you. Because we constantly need to be reminded of our redemption. We need to constantly be reminded that God, in Christ, forgave us. Removed our sin as far as the east is from the west, which would be from the east to the west. Because it will have a profound impact on how you live and treat other people in this world. There are too many believers that are not willing to forgive as God and Christ forgave them. And that's part of that is because they don't understand what has taken place. That they are not the same individual. And sometimes unbelievers even put to shame believers because they are willing to forgive and to forget. That doesn't mean that there's not pain, there's not hurt. Because those kinds of things, when things are done wrong to us, do have a profound impact, can leave lasting impressions. But I know that the God who made me, the God who had a plan before the foundation of the world, the God who lavished his grace upon me, can give me the ability to do something that I cannot do in my own strength, but can do in the power of the Spirit. So rapid fire. First is adoption into the family of God. And we've talked about this in Ephesians already about adoption, but Paul also in his letter to, to Galatians, because it is the truth, this is what happens, and this is a benefit of redemption. 
Verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, God gave us the right to become children of God, and therefore adopting us into his family for eternity. Second is the deliverance from the law of sin and death, which I've already spoken of. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because you've been redeemed, because you've been forgiven. God's not holding it against you. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So don't walk around as someone who is, you know, well, God will never forgive me for that. Because what you're doing is you're thinking of God in a boxed fashion. Do not limit the almighty God. Third is the free gift of righteousness. If because of one man's trespass, Romans 5.17, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, again, here's Paul talking about the abundance of grace, the grace that God lavished upon you, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Because we need Christ's righteousness, because we cannot be righteous on our own. Fourth, we have peace with God. See, we're no longer enemies. We're no longer on the opposite side because we've been adopted into God's family. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, Jesus has the power, the authority, and the will to do exactly what he did. That's why he could say with surety and clarity and with power, even in his moment of death, it is finished. I did what I came to do, and through faith and trust in me and in uh, me alone, Jesus speaking, I can be redeemed and forgiven. Fifth, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Again, the book of Galatians. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See, as you look at the Old Testament, the spirit came upon people from time to time to empower them to do something. But we, as those that are under the new covenant, the new covenant in Christ's blood, everything that the Old Testament was looking forward to and that we look back to, He has given us his indwelling Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is with you wherever you go. So that means he sees everything that you see. He doesn't have to indwell you to know to see that anyway. But I I want you to understand the the profound impact this has. But see, that same Spirit that that resides in you can give you the ability to be, give you the ability to overcome the things that come into your life. 
to give you the words to speak in that moment of crisis because he brings back to your remembrance the truth of the word of God. Because you memorized a verse maybe in Olympians or you you memorized a verse in your, your daily devotions to give you the ability to see beyond the circumstances of this life or beyond the, the craziness of this world to be able to handle it in a way that honors God. And lastly, access to the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a beautiful promise that we have access to the throne. And why do we have access? Because of Jesus. Because he redeemed us out of slavery, forgave us, gave us his righteousness so that we could have access to the throne room of God. So why walk around as if you're defeated by everything happening around you? The woe is me or... I can't believe this is happening to me because this, that, and the other have come into your life at a a precise moment. Just remember that you've got the Spirit of God living inside of you and that maybe God is preparing you for such a time as this to be able to proclaim the truth of the Word of God, to live out what Jesus has done at your workplace, to be a testimony to people that are dead in their trespasses and sins and need the Lord Jesus Christ. And know this, you know, and Pastor Caden preached on this about the sowing of the seed. You know, you don't know what the soil is. But that doesn't free you to not sow seed. You sow the seed everywhere. And you do that by what you say for certain, by what you think, because God knows your thoughts, by your actions. All those things are sowing something. Some people, they sow discord. Others, they're they're sowing, you know, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that there's redemption and forgiveness. And yes, Jesus can forgive even that. Because his blood paid the price. So those are some of the benefits of redemption. And may I encourage you, as those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, to think over, what you know that you did not know apart from Christ. To go over his glorious attributes, his glorious promises, that you're not alone in this, that not only is the Spirit of God with you, and God with you wherever you go all the way until the end of the age, but you have a wonderful church family that can speak truth, that can you know, show love, that can encourage, because we're all, you know, you know, experiencing a lot of the same things. And the difference is, is how do you handle them? Do you try and do it on your own, in your own strength? Or do you tap into limitless power? Yeah, limitless power, to say it right. Because you've got the, the, the Holy Spirit in you. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. See, that's how freeing salvation is. It just rolls away. It doesn't come back. It is there by faith I receive my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Let's close in prayer. 
Gracious Father, it is truly at the cross that we have received our sight. It is at the cross that a battle raged where Satan had thought he had won but did not remember the truth uh, back in the book of Genesis that your son would deal the death blow to the head. Yes, he did die on the cross. Yes, he was buried. But he finished what he came to do, and therefore you raised him from the dead, because that was part of your plan from before the foundation of the world, that in love you would send your son. What a glorious promise that is. What a glorious, gracious act that was. May we never forget it. May we live as those that are empowered by the Spirit each and every day, and as the culture continues to go spiraling downward, continuing to not make sense, continuing to think illogically, continuing to suppress the truth in unrighteousness, that you will continue to build that truth, grow that truth through your word, through the fellowship of believers, through prayer each and every day. That even though our outer man may be wasting away, our inner man is being renewed day by day. What a beautiful thing that is. And so, Father, empower us, give us the strength to live in this world as lights in darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.